four beautiful children that are here today. And I pray that they will have a good time with their teacher, and it will be a time of learning and a time of fun. And I just pray your blessing and protection over them and their lives. In Jesus' name. Okay. I just want to offer an opportunity to share a word of testimony and answer a prayer, a blessing that you've had this week that would edify and encourage the rest of us. If somebody has something they'd like to share, So how will I know if I like it or not? 
If I go to the other place, though, place two, and find it's too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best and not place two. On the other hand, though, if place one is too hot, I might get a terrible earache and die. On the other hand, though, if place two is too low, I might get some terrible pain in my toe. So place one may be best. And he started to go. Then he stopped and said, on the other hand, though, on the other hand, on the other hand, on the other hand, and for 36 hours and one half, that zone made starts and made stops in the fork in the road, saying, no, don't take a chance. It may not be right. Then he got an idea that was wonderfully bright. Play safe, cried the zone. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the zone, who would not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. <laughs> Some of you can remember the loving Spoonville song. Did you ever have to make up your mind? You have two good options, two good job offers, two college possibilities that look promising. I can remember a long time ago when our youngest son was deciding on colleges. He was torn between Notre Dame and Furman University in South Carolina. Two good schools academically, equal financial aid packages. But as he prayed about it, he said, Dad, I'm going to Furman because I have a piece about that. Peace. Now that, that's a good indicator in making the right decision. It says in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and his act is fire. To which, indeed, you were called in one body. And be thankful. Also, at Furman, he met his wife, Julie. And that's a very good thing, I can tell you that. So, we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. I think that's true. The quality of your life depends on the quality of your decisions. A young executive asked a senior executive the secret of his success, and he said, wise decisions. Well, how do you make wise decisions? Experience. How do you make experience? Dumb decisions. <laughs> and I've made a few of those, and you probably have too. Some of us seem to learn the hard way. And because of that, we become wary in making a decision because we fear that we're going to mess up. Or I'll make a decision and it'll hurt me or someone else, or I'll get hurt. But then we see other folks, they make decisions so easily. They just decide and say, I'm just going to let the chips fall where they may. I'd rather make a mistake than do nothing. But for others, they're like paralyzed. It's so difficult to make a decision. And I have to admit, there's no clear-cut formula in the Bible, step one, two, three, for decision-making, because it's complex. There are many different kinds of decisions to be made. But the Bible is full of principles for good decision-making. And so we're going to look at a few of those from God's Word, just in James chapter 1. You can look so many other places. But we're going to limit ourselves to James 1 today and see what can we glean from God's Word to have some principles of decision-making that can guide our lives. Here's the first one. Pray for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. 
James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now what's wisdom? The Bible says, Proverbs 1.7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom is definitely connected with God, God's will and God's ways. So how do I get that wisdom from God and pray? Why is prayer sometimes a last resort? We try everything else ourselves to do it, and then it's a last resort. Oh yeah, I guess I should pray. It should be the first thing that we do. And you can talk to God about anything, anywhere, anytime. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Here in the book of James 4, 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Here's someone who asks. We're going to look at an example in the scripture of someone who asked God for wisdom. It was granted to them. Solomon. In 1 Kings 3, 5-15. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. He walked in wisdom. He had a connection with God. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I have a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitudes. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord. And Solomon had asked this. As for wisdom, pleased God. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, Walk in wisdom, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then will I, I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Okay, so he has God, give me wisdom to govern your people, to teach them your ways in wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. You know what? It's part of my daily prayer walk that I take every morning. Do a little walk in prayer. 
And I always say, Lord, give me wisdom and discernment as a pastor. What about you? What do you do if you have a big decision in front of you? What do you do first? Do you worry? Do you flip a coin? Do you watch Oprah? Do you take a smart pill? Or do you pray? Prayer acknowledges, I don't know what to do. That's humble. Whenever you humble yourself, that's a good thing. You may be confused, but God certainly isn't. And notice God's attitude in verse 5. He says he gives without reproach. That means without finding fault. God doesn't say to you, you again, you're asking that same thing? What are you, some kind of dummy? I already told you all I'm going to tell you about that. Don't you know that by now? No. God doesn't do that, does he? He gives without finding fault. He's patient with us. Remember when your kids were little and they would ask you the same question over and over again like 20 times? And I have to sometimes I got frustrated. But God doesn't. He's glad to see you coming. He'll never say to you, stop bothering me. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to answer generously because he's a giver. He's not stingy with his wisdom. So the first step is pray. Ask God for wisdom. Colossians 2, 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. So see Christ in prayer. I need wisdom. Show me. Here's the second principle in James 1. Believe there is a solution. Believe there is a solution. James 1, 6. But let him ask in faith. With no doubt. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Have faith. Who do you think is going to succeed in life? The person who's always doubting that it will happen, or the person who believes there's got to be a way. Which do you think pleases God more? The Christian life requires faith. Believing that God will answer prayer. Believing that the Bible is true. Why bother praying at all if you don't believe that? Well, God's too busy to answer. He doesn't care that much about me and my situation, my decision. That's not true. He does care. Ask him and believe that he hears your prayer and he's going to answer you and help you. But sometimes when we pray, we doubt. We doubt that we're going to receive it. So James goes on in verse 7, we're going to read that in a moment, and do not think that that man should expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because, verse 8, he's an unstable man in all his ways. So James in verse 7 says, he won't receive it. He doubts. Because, verse 8, he's a double-minded man. Now that's a word, as far as I could find, wasn't used before this time in literature. It's almost like James coined this term, double-minded. It means two-faced or two souls. You know, you face God, and then you turn and face the devil. You love God, but you love the world also. Like Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, because you're going to hate the one who loves the other. An example of this, to me, was uh, Peter. 
when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he asked Jesus, can I come up on the water with you? And Jesus said, come. And he stepped out and he was walking on the water. And you know, he kept on walking toward Jesus because he, he kept his eyes on him. He saw him. But then, what does the text tell us? He looked away, he looked down, he saw the wind and the waves, and then he immediately sank. So he was okay when he had his eyes on Jesus and he was looking to him in faith. But as soon as he turned, he became two-faced, two-souled, he turned away, he sank. We, we look at God or we turn to look at the devil. We're going to sink if we turn to look at the devil. We're two-faced. It's like a Christian who sings an onward Christian soldier on Sunday, but then goes AWOL on Monday. You can't be double-minded. And don't confuse faith with presumption. The Jews in the wilderness wonders when they left Egypt, right? The Red Sea was before them. They crossed the Red Sea by faith as the walls of the Red Sea stood up against each other. They walked through safely. The Egyptians presumed and went into the waters, and you know what happened to them. Faith says, God, give me wisdom to help me make this decision. Presumption says, God, you decide for me. He won't. If he did, you would never grow. He wants you to mature. Presumption says, whatever you do is fine. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. So let me say something about people who allow circumstances to make their decisions for them. That's presumption. If it happens this way, then I'll do this. They're too afraid to decide. They're like the zone. They're like paralyzed in fear. What do I do? And if something bad happens and that is the result of that decision, then they blame God. That's not faith. That's not Christian maturity. It's Islam. It's the Quran. It's not the Bible. Everything's determined in Islam. There's no choice or free will. But there is in Christianity. Because God, the living, the true God, gave human beings free will to make choices, legitimate, real decisions. And then, of course, we have to look at the consequences of those decisions. That's how you grow. God wants you mature, not passive. Definitely wait on the Lord. You pray, you wait. Then make a decision. You may have doubts. Did I hear God right? Like the guy who brought his demonized son to Jesus and said, I believe all my unbelief. You know what was okay about that situation? Because he kept his eyes on Jesus. He didn't turn away. And Jesus healed his son. Don't be two-faced. Keep believing God. Keep your eyes on him. Pray and believe. Third principle in James 1. Don't second-guess yourself. Don't second-guess yourself. Let's read James 1, 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. So doubt is a very human thing, but that doesn't make it good. James is pretty graphic here with his illustrations to explain what doubt is. It's like a person that's tossed by the waves. They're blown by whatever direction the wind is blowing. It's like straddling a fence. Try to do that for a long time, it's pretty uncomfortable. 
like the waves in and out, they vacillate and waver, should I, should not, unstable in all its ways. That describes a staggering drunk who's unstable in his walking. When you doubt, you're under the influence of the devil. And when you're drunk, you make bad decisions because you're under the influence. When you doubt, you make bad decisions because you're under the influence of the devil. And you've never made a decision, maybe a big decision, and immediately doubted it, did I do the right thing? You're falling to the what-if trap. Unstable in all your ways. It's pure torture. It uses up your energy. You toss and turn at night. It hurts your relationship with God and others. Pray. Believe. And determine God's will. Then act. It says in Luke 9.62, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Turns away from the path that God wants him on. Double-minded in all his ways. What if I make a mistake? You probably will. God will use that mistake to teach you. I think of divine guidance a little bit like this. It's like a four-lane freeway that you're on. And there's four lanes there. You know, you're going to move sometimes from lane to lane, but you're still going the right direction, right? Sometimes... You make a mistake, you do something stupid, you get off the freeway. You go down the off-ramp. But you know what? There's an on-ramp just right up here. Just go right back up the on-ramp and back up onto the freeway. And you're making good progress. You're going the right way. Sometimes people look at God's direction like railroad tracks and they're a train. What if you veer the slightest little bit? Hey, crash. I don't look at it that way. Think of it like a four-lane freeway. Yeah, there's room to maneuver. You've got free will. There's an off-ramp. There's an off-ramp. Number four. Focus on facts, not feelings. Jump me down to James 1.19 for this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. So you're getting good information, you're getting the facts, slow to speak, you talk way too much, way too fast, you're still gathering the facts, slow to anger, there's your feeling. Feelings are unreliable, especially anger. Feelings vacillate like the waves, in and out. We feel strong one moment, the next moment we don't. We get married. We are so much in love. We feel love for that person. A month later, what are those feelings? I don't feel the same way. Should I get a divorce? No. Because love isn't based on feelings. It's based on a decision of the will. If you base your decisions on emotions, you're going to feel really good about that decision as long as those emotions are the same. But if emotions change, then you're like, oh, man, maybe I made a mistake. Feelings vacillate in and out of the way. I saw this book title, never read the book, but I like the title of the book for pastors. Never resign on my knees. And I thought about that. Yeah, I think that's true. It's a funny title to me. Why Monday? Because the sermon bombed on Sunday. Someone said something harsh at the door. Attendance was low. The offering was bad. You're tired. That's a big one for pastors. I read that, and I found it to be true, 
that a one-hour church service is the equivalent to an eight-hour workday. I don't know why that is. And I thought it to be true. It's like after church, I feel spent emotionally, spiritually. I'm drained. Someone said it's hard to be a philosopher when you have a toothache. And that's true. It's hard to be logical when you're emotional. Your physical is really connected with a spiritual or an interconnected person. So if you're really hurting physically, it's hard to be spiritual. When you're really sick, it's hard to have a big quiet time. So never make a big decision, young folks. When you're angry, you're upset, you're depressed, just put it off. Wait. Don't leave your spouse after a really bad fight and you're really mad. Don't quit your job right after the boss yells at you. You may quit your job, but just don't do it based on feelings. The Who, when their song will be get pulled again, has a lyric, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yeah, you just jump from the fried pan into the fire. Number five. Base your life on the fire. We're going to go down to James 1, 22 to 25 for this principle. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, so read it daily, apply it to your life. Don't just read it or hear it only. Do it. At the night you think, just do it. The Bible is God's owner's manual. He tells you what you need to know. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is like a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Now, I've heard folks say, well, I prayed, I waited, I asked for wisdom, and God died. God didn't say anything to me. Maybe you've said that or thought that. So I would like to also add, along with your praying, did you read the Bible? So it's silly to ask God for wisdom about matters that the Bible is very clear on, like sex outside of marriage. God, should I have sex with my own friends? Give me wisdom about that. I kind of feel like that would be okay. He's already given you wisdom. Very clearly in his word. Let's say you're driving along and your car breaks down. And you get out of your car, and you open the hood, and you're messing around with the car. And there's a mechanic in the front seat sitting there with you. Isn't it for you to be switching wires out and messing around with that car when a mechanic's right there? So consult the expert. Go to the scripture for wisdom. Base your life on the Bible. God usually doesn't speak to you in an audible voice. He doesn't usually write a sign or message in the sky for you to read. You wouldn't grow that way. Do you want your kids calling you when they're 30 years old asking you what to eat and how to dress? No. 
No, you don't because you've already taught them that stuff. You've taught them dress appropriately for the interview. You know, eat healthy. God's will is largely found in His Word. If you're not reading the Bible, you're not going to know God's will. And God's will is never contrary to His Word. Oh, but it feels so right. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? We're just talking about that. Our emotions are unreliable. They're like the waves. They, they vacillate. Wave in and out. Well, I feel really thirsty, and there's a there's a liquid in that glass on the table. I just think I'm going to go drink that. What if it's poison? It looked good. It felt good going down. But the fact is, it's a poison, and you die. Read the Word of God and apply it. That's how you know God that and His will. And verse 25 gives us a little clarity on how to apply God's will. Two things. He looks intently into the perfect law, so he stares at it. That's what it means. To study, to meditate on, to memorize. He looks intently into the perfect law. So we, we said this out to you all in the bulletin last week from James chapter 1. I encourage you to uh, look at that. We're asking you, when we're in chapter 1 through these messages, to look at James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy and you go through trials of various kinds. Okay? So I'm just meditating on that. And here's what I wrote down. We have trials and suffer to prepare us for harder times ahead where we're tempted to turn our back on Jesus, but we won't because we've gone through lesser trials and we persevered and overcome. So just ponder it, meditate on James 1, 2 to 4 for the next few weeks. And then we'll go into chapter 2 of James and there'll be a new verse meditate on. So I encourage you to do that. When you're looking into God's word intently and perseveres, you just continue to do it regularly. You're in the word, you're applying the word, and obeying the word. What if your decision isn't found in the Bible? Should I marry Tony? And it's found nowhere in the Bible. But again, are there principles in God's word for who I should marry? Absolutely. First and foremost, clearest principle is marry a Christian. That's what the Word says. Are you compatible with that person, especially spiritually? Are you willing to commit your life to that person for the long haul? Those are principles found in God's Word. How about abortion? That's a big issue in our country. Two major positions, right? What does the Bible say? When a baby is aborted, does it die? Yeah. What does the Bible say? Thou shalt not commit murder. It's clear. Use adoption agencies instead. There are, I've read, an equal number of people wanting to adopt in this country with the number of abortions that are done in this country. And in two weeks, Sanctity of Life Sunday, we're going to have a real special time focusing on that issue. We've got some special speakers that are going to be talking about that. I know it's really going to bless you. The biggest decision you'll ever make is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? 1 Kings 18, 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on living between two different opinions? A fork in the road. Well, should I go this way or should I go that way? If the Lord is God, follow him. 
But his panel did follow him, and the people did not answer him a word. Wavering between doing the right thing, doing God's will or my own desires. Choose God. You'll never regret the decision. Forty years ago, I made the second best decision of my life. I have kept it there. Forty-five years ago, just about, I made the best decision of my life. It wasn't totally a decision like a real thought out thing. But I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be the Savior of my life. And He did. Do you need wisdom for a really big decision you're facing? Ask God. And He'll show you the way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is so rich in meaning and truth. And that we can know your will and your way through it. I pray for anyone here this morning that perhaps has a big decision to make and it's hard. They, they don't know which way to go right now. But they're seeking you to encourage them to continue to seek them, that you will give them wisdom. You'll show them the way. And, and they'll step out in it. And Lord, those that are have made a decision that was a bad decision and they're kind of suffering the consequences right now, I pray that if they confess that simple decision, perhaps, that you will forgive them. And move them on the right path.